Let's give our God a hand. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. You can be seated today. We're going to get right into God's word. And so if you want to open up your Bibles uh, with me today, uh, I apologize. There's no notes on the seats for you today. Uh, a little uh, just brain mishap. And so if you want to go to your app, the notes are there. And then if you want a copy of this week's notes, just email the church office at info at mosaiccincinnati.com and we'll get you a copy this week, but they are available in the app. Um, and you might just have to go old school and, and write on some paper or in a notebook this morning as, as you follow along. But we're in the third week of Steward Well. We're going to jump right in. And as we've been talking about these past few weeks, uh, that we can boil our life down to four things that we steward, our time, our talent, our treasure, and our influence. And so as we jump in today, I just want to welcome our online viewers. If you're with us today online, we're so thankful that you're here. Um, and as, as you're online, man, pull out your app, open up your Bibles, and let's dig in today. If you've missed any of the last couple weeks' messages, you can um, get caught up online. All the messages are on, on our website or our app, and man, we'd love for you to, to just keep up to date. And so that as you come in and especially jump into the middle of a series like this, uh, man, you're right on track with us. But this week we're talking about treasure. And people get a little squirmy in church when you start talking about money. Can I get an amen, right? And you know what that means when we get squirmy about a certain topic or when, you know, that topic gets brought up and you start to get a little uncomfortable? You know what that means? It means it's really important, right? When, when something starts to kind of hit a place in our heart and we're like, anytime that topic comes up and we're like, oh man, this is going to be uncomfortable today. Anytime the preacher especially talks about money, um, it's just, it's just kind of weird. That usually means that it's really, really important. The things that we get the most squirming about in life are many times connected to some vital part of our heart that needs addressing, Right? Why do we get squirmy about money? Why do we kind of get on edge? Why is it kind of prick a nerve in our heart? Why are we so possessive? Maybe it's because we, you know, just have legitimate worries about not having enough. You know, I can imagine what you might be thinking is we're going into Thanksgiving, we're going into holiday season where uh, typically people spend more money and man, we've had COVID all year. And you know, maybe you're without a job and maybe you're, you're struggling to make ends meet. And you're like, well, Joe, why in the world at a time like this are you talking about money? Stewardship of our treasure. Why? Because it's incredibly important whether we have a little or a lot or nothing. How our heart deals with our possessions, our treasure. You know, we live in a materialistic world, and so maybe you're burdened down with what other people think of you. Maybe you're always trying to keep up with the Joneses, and, and man, if somebody else or one of your friends, one of your girlfriends, or one of your guy friends has this or that, and you're like, man, I've got to have it too. Maybe you get squirmy when we talk about money because there's, there's some legitimate distrust of, of the church. Maybe there's like some, some bad experiences in the past, and you're like, well, I don't know if I can trust what... Uh, what a man of God says about money because of something else that happened to me in life. Maybe uh, you kind of feel weak if you feel like, man, you can't provide for yourself. And so it's just kind of a tough topic. 
Maybe you're just like those seagulls in Finding Nemo. You remember those? That they're like, mine, 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 mine. And you, there's just, maybe there's a spot of greed in your heart that you're like, man, that, that's me. I just, I just want mine. I just want it. At the end of the day, though, we know that we all have limits in providing for ourselves, right? And so we scratch, we claw, we work our way at any cost to meet our own needs, kind of like that squirrel with the nut in Ice Age. I'm full of kids' movies, uh, illustrations. I've, I've got three kids that just came out of that age, and so we still enjoy uh, the kids' movies at our house. Um, and so you're like that, that squirrel that just, oh, just has to have it, right? Just one more. Finances are one of the most fought over, divisive, polarizing topics and struggles in human history. And if you're married, you can say amen, right? Finances have a way of bringing about heat in a conversation in your marriage like nothing else can. And as much as our behavior points to the contrary, we can't take money with us after we die. Do you know that? but we still value it as if it's eternal. Man, get this. You can't take money with you after you die. I said it a few weeks ago. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? And yet we treat it in life as if it's eternal. And any time we place eternal value on something temporal, life gets off and things get out of whack. And your stewardship of that thing gets out of alignment with God's plan for your life. Listen, the Bible is not silent on money and possessions. And yet many people expect the church to be. The Bible is not silent on money and possessions, and yet many people don't want the church to talk about it. Listen, 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables were concerned, with about, were concerned about how to handle money and possessions. 16 out of 38. Jesus talked about money a lot. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, roughly 500 verses on faith, or fewer than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,350 verses on money and possessions. Can you believe it? And yet, so much of the time, we're, we're so uneasy when we talk about money in the church. And so this morning, with hopefully without a lot of commentary, and um, I'm just going to lay out for you what uh, some principles from God's word about our treasure. And the amazing thing about our treasure is that this is something uh, for which God gives some pretty strong guarantees. In Philippians 4.19, and the context here is that uh, the Philippian church had sent some monetary and, and substantial gifts to Paul while he was in prison. And Paul is thanking them for these gifts. And Paul says this to the Philippians, and this same God who takes care of me, mind you, Paul's in prison, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I love that. So a lot to digest. God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of you. He's got all the glorious riches, and they've been given to us 
in Christ Jesus. Love that. The same God who saves you from hell wants to provide for you on earth from his boundless and glorious riches. So if I need provision in life, my first stop is going to be the one that has more than enough. Psalm 24, 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everybody say everything. Yes, even that. Every single thing that you will ever have is the Lord's. The world and all its people belong to him. And so when we start talking about money or if we start talking about giving or, or tithing or things like that, when you give, guess what? You're not doing God a favor. And God doesn't need your money because everything already belongs to him. He owns it all. The Bible says he has a cattle on a thousand hills. He's got it all. <clears throat> but with every promise in God's word, the Bible said he's going to provide for you and for me. There's a premise. With a promise, there's a premise. There's requirements. And so we're going to look at those today. The God, uh, God, you know, just like the parable of the talents, you know, where God gave, or where that story says, man, the master gave those guys the talents, you know, there was expectations of them. And God's the giver, and we get to manage his resources. And so there are things that God says, I'll do my part, and you do your part. And so we're going to look at some of these principles in his word this morning. We're going to look at five of them. And God says, if you meet these conditions, then I guarantee that I will meet all your needs. That's a pretty big promise. It's huge. And so let's dive in today. God has promised to meet all my financial need, number one, if I ask God for help. And you're like, man, Joe, this is really simple. Yes, it is. But this is the first step. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. <clears throat> he wants to help. But sometimes he wants to help you not in the way you think you need help. He wants to help, but the problem is, is that we rarely ask. Or when we ask, it's after we have exhausted every other means in our life. And let me just give you a little inside scoop to who God is and, and how he wants to be in your life. He wants to be number one. He wants to be first. He doesn't want to be last. And so when we attempt every other means of provision in our life before we come to God and ask him for help, then it's backwards. It's backwards. I love it as a pastor when people come to me and they, a lot of times they, they say this type of thing when they're in a health crisis. Um, you know, somebody's in the hospital and they're sick and the doctors have done everything that they could possibly do to help somebody. <clears throat> and that person is just on death's door. And, and, and the person comes to me as a pastor and says, well, pastor, all we can do now is pray. And I just want to be, yeah, all we can do is approach the God who created the universe, the God who holds the world in his hand, the God who owns the world and everything in it, the God who has boundless provision and boundless resources available for our disposal and all we can do is talk to him. Doesn't that sound a little backwards? Over 20 times in the New Testament, God says, ask. I want you to ask. 
So maybe we, we impose this law upon our financial life. Before you pay for it, stop and ask God about it. It's getting real. And, you know, when I say if I ask God for help, you're thinking, you know, when I'm in need, when I need something, then I'm going to go ask for God to help. No, wait, why, don't, why don't we back up and we start at the very, very beginning. And before you pay for something, you talk to God about whether you really need it or not. Because most of us, we find ourselves in lack because we've paid for all kinds of things before we ever had the money to pay for them. And now we want a bailout from God. Well, let me tell you, sometimes God shows up and provides for our bad decisions, but other times he doesn't act like the federal government. And he might not always bail us out. We might have to pay down that debt ourselves. But what he will give you when you ask is the wisdom to get there. The wisdom to make good choices that are going to lead to financial health. So before you pay for it, pray for it. Stop and ask God. So God, should we say, God, provide for all these things I've already committed myself to? Or God, should I commit to this in the first place? Ask before. Quit depending more on your charge card than you do Jesus. Many times when I ask God about what I should or should not purchase, guess what he does? He aligns my heart with his heart. And so pre-purchase, he aligns my heart with his heart. And a lot of times that comes in the form of him giving me wisdom that, hey, you don't really need this because there's this more pressing need over here. Or you don't really need that because, man, I've really given you those resources to help provide for this need in this person's life. If you prayed about your finances as much as you worried about them, you'd have a lot less to worry about. Because God is saying, just ask me for wisdom. Ask me for help. I'm waiting for you to ask me. Listen, God isn't offended by you asking for something big, your big dreams, your big needs. It gives him a chance to show his greatness. But we need to ask ourselves a question. Am I, am I asking God to be God, or am I just asking God to show up when I need him? He's not a cosmic bellhop, Right? He is the God who makes impossible possible for his glory. And so his provision is way more about glory for him than it is about glory or goodness for you. So when I'm saying all this this morning, it's not a prosperity gospel. This is simply making one of the biggest parts of your life a matter of prayer. Why wouldn't we make something that so easily grips our hearts and causes division within us a matter of prayer and open the door for God to work through it. Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. John 16, 24, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Listen, when we ask in his name, then our heart is going to be in line with what he wants. And it might take a while sometimes. That's why I think Jesus says, ask, keep on asking, keep on asking, because as you talk to Jesus and as you talk to God, your heart is going to come in alignment with his. Number two, God, will, God guarantees to provide for all your financial needs if I learn to be content. If I learn to be content, Philippians 4.12, <clears throat> we're in the same passage. 
I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. I love that word learn that Paul uses because it means that I'm in process and even if the financial circumstances of my life are not good right now, then it's a positive because I get to learn. My mother and father-in-law, Jolie's parents, <clears throat> they um, spent 12 years as missionaries in India. And much of that time they lived in uh, a town called Madurai, India. It's in the southern tip of India. It's a small town of about a million people. It's a village in India, a million people. And uh, Ron taught, and, and Cheryl both, they taught in the Bible school uh, there. Um, and uh, they helped to raise up kids ministry leaders in India. And so as they were teaching in the Bible school, they realized something really interesting, that people there in the classes could not wait for tea time. And so they had these tea time breaks throughout the day. And a lot of times Ron and Cheryl would be like, man, we could, we could crank through some of this material if we just skipped tea time. And tea time wasn't really a big deal to Ron and Cheryl, you know. And, but it was a big deal to their students. And they really didn't understand why is this such a big deal? Man, we could get so much more done. We could be so much more productive if we weren't always stopping for tea time. Well, at one point, Ron and Cheryl decided to do a little learning experience, and they decided that they were going to take a month and live on what the average Indian in Madurai, India, lived on every day, which I think, if I remember right, was about 22 cents a day. And so they were like, okay, we're going to just fashion our budget and fashion everything that we do and what we eat based on how much a normal person there in that town lives and pays for food per day. So around 22 cents a day. And so they get into this month-long journey of learning what it must be like to live as a person in that town. And let me tell you what, after about a week or two, they realized and they learned the value of tea time. They learned that that little bit of sustenance, that little bit of sugar in the tea, was just enough to give the energy to keep going through class and to give the energy needed to learn. And so Ron and Cheryl learned this incredibly valuable lesson that when you learn to be content, you learn to deal with what you have, right? Because you and I are human. We have needs. We have physical bodies. We have stuff that, that and man, when, when you have little, it becomes really important what your true needs are. And the fact wasn't can you or can't you live on 22 cents a day. The fact was you just had to learn how to do it. And Ron and Cheryl learned how to do it, and they learned from their, their, their Indian friends that were learning on that little amount, that were living on that little amount. Paul, when he wrote this verse, he was in prison. So he was in a place where because he had chosen to follow Christ, because he had been chosen to abandon everything for the cause of Christ, he found himself in prison. Do you think Paul might have thought, man, why did I follow Christ so zealously, and here I ended up in prison? Instead, he had this amazing attitude where he's like, you know what? I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. Many times, our reason for learning to be content as Americans, let's get honest, they're pretty selfish. We save for this or we save for that. 
well, we're going to really cut back right now because we're getting ready for vacation. To make sure that we're set when the time comes. I love the biblical principles that are taught in Financial Peace University. They absolutely work. And, and it's great stewardship. Although, just like any good thing, because we live in such a consumeristic and materialistic society, listen, write this down. We have to be careful that our reasons for financial frugality don't revolve around us alone. If you want to get the heart of God in your finances, then it can't be all about you. It's got to include others. It's got to include some margin to meet that need, to show up when somebody needs it. Don't get me wrong. The Bible is clear about providing for your family, saving, being a good steward, and those things are incredibly spiritual, and you should do all of those things. But the goal is not your comfort when it comes to you being financially set. The goal is your character and will you follow Jesus wherever he leads you. Jesus came for the sick, for the lost, for the hurting. He came on mission. And we're here to steward God's resources in such a way that it will allow us to be on mission too. Have you ever been such at the end of your rope financially that you don't have any margin to help anybody? That's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is that you steward your resources in such a way that you have something available to use in God's hands. This is why making your finances a matter of prayer is so incredibly important. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it, right? Number three, God God guarantees to provide for all your financial needs if I practice giving in faith. Giving in faith. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 says this. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Listen, I know this can sound a little bit self-serving since I'm the pastor talking about money, but we're just going to get past that in our hearts, and I just want you to know from my heart, if you ever feel pressured to give at Mosaic, don't. If you ever feel manipulated to give at Mosaic, don't. I would rather you not give than give out of guilt or religiosity or pressure. Don't give. Why? Because God doesn't care if you give in that way. So if you feel pressured to give, don't. God says don't give under pressure. You don't get any credit for giving under pressure. You don't get any credit for giving out out of guilt. God loves a cheerful giver who doesn't give reluctantly but gives because they want to put God first. God's looking at the heart. He's looking at the attitude. It's a heart issue. We see this in Matthew 23, 23. It says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And so Jesus himself here says, tithe, absolutely. But there's a deeper issue, the heart. 
See, you can tithe, you can do these things, and your heart might still not be in it. And you might not be doing it for the right things. And so Jesus is saying, give in faith with a good heart. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then, and this goes back to the purpose of it all, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Remember, it's not about me. This verse gives you purpose in your giving. It's like, God, I'm not just giving because you told me to, even though, yes, tithing is a command from Scripture, but I'm giving because it's a part of your nature that you've bestowed on me. God's a giver, and I want to be like you. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever you need more of, you give away. This works for everything in life. If you need more compliments, give some compliments away. If you need more encouragement, encourage somebody. If you need more forgiveness, forgive somebody. If you need to be blessed, bless somebody. Proverbs 3, 9 and through 10 says it like this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Love that. It's a promise. This principle of tithing that taught throughout scripture, this is the principle of tithing. It's the principle that every time I make $100, the first $10 goes back to God. If I make $1,000, the first $100 goes back to God. Man, Jolie and I, even before we got married, decided that we were going to tithe out of obedience to God, and we're going to give abundantly above and beyond out of what God blesses us with. And a lot of times we saw that when we made pre-decisions to bless out of our excess, God blessed us even more. We've never lived on a lot. We're in the ministry. (laughs) But we have never gone without. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that my cars run longer and things break less often because I put God first in this area. My Toyota out there, given to me by my dad, has 333,000 miles on it and runs like it's brand new. Love it. And I can't prove to you that, you know, that that's God's provision, but man, it sure helps my attitude. Listen, tithing is not charity. It's an act of worship. It's a command. I don't give it to somebody. I give it to God. I don't give it to a pastor or a church building or organization. It's between me and God. It's an act of worship. It says, when I tithe, it says, all of it came from you in the first place, God. And if, I, and if, and if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have a thing. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. The only time in all of scripture where God says for you to test him. That's why we use the word guaranteed today. God says, put me first in your life and watch what I'll do. I'll bless you. Is it because God needs it? Absolutely not. It's because God asks us to do this because of what it represents in your heart. Remember when we said we treat things that are temporal as though they're eternal? When we tithe, we say, God, this is temporal. 
I'm trusting you with my finances. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, if you say that Jesus is number one in your life, but he's not first in your finances or in your time, he's not first. Don't kid yourself. When it comes to finances, it's a heart thing. When I give the first part of my income to the Lord, somehow he makes that 90% that I still have expand and I'm able to pay more with that 90% than I would have been able to with 100. You might think, I hear it all the time, I can't afford to tithe. But honestly, listen, as your pastor, I just wanna encourage you, you can't afford not to. God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100% all day, every day, forever. You can't afford not to if you really want God's blessing in your life. Um, my mom, at one point, I, I, it probably wasn't original to her. Um, if that's me, guys, just bring me a handheld or something. Um, but if, but my mom used to use the, the, um, the analogy of an umbrella of God's blessing, right? And when I stay under the umbrella of God's blessing, I'm out of the rain, I'm provided for, I'm comforted by God's blessings in my life. But when I step outside of that umbrella of God's blessing, I'm on my own. I'm in the storm. I am vulnerable to whatever happens. But when I stay under the umbrella of God's blessing and put God first in my life, and especially in my finances, I'm under the umbrella of God's blessing. Some people say, is tithing really New Testament? Oh, that just seems like Old Testament, Old Covenant stuff. Actually, no. Tithing happened hundreds of years before the law and Moses ever even came around. Abraham tithed. Abel and Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices to the Lord, the best of what they had to give to the Lord. God was satisfied with Abel because he really brought the best and he had the good attitude. He was not satisfied with Cain's because he did not bring the best. It's a heart issue, and it's all throughout Scripture from beginning to end. Where should I tithe? When it says, bring your tithe into the storehouse, your personal storehouse is the local church. And I don't, I don't feel self-serving saying that, not one bit. Why? Because this is the body of Christ, and this is where we worship, and this is where we minister out of. And so the resources flow into here so that we can bless and be outward focused in our ministry. Number four, God will guarantee to provide for all your financial need if I maintain my integrity. If I maintain my integrity, don't fall into the trap of rationalizing dishonesty in your life. Whether it's with your taxes, whether it's with your tips at a restaurant, whether it's with payments that you make or don't make and you figure, oh, they'll never find out. God cares about you keeping your word. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Proverbs 16.11 says, The the Lord demands fairness in every business deal. Proverbs 19.1 says, "Better Better to be poor and honest than rich and dishonest. Nothing is worth you losing God's blessing in your life 
and getting out from underneath that umbrella of God's blessing and provision and authority. Number five, God will get, God guarantees to provide for your financial needs if you trust him with your life. And this is where we're going to bring it in for landing this morning. We're going to close today with this. Have you ever seen somebody uh, tie a bungee, bungee uh, cord to their, to their feet and jump off a bridge? How much trust they're putting into that piece of fabric? Have any of you ever skydove, skydived, gone skydiving? Anybody? Woohoo, we got some daredevils. Man, I would love to do that someday. And you think about how much trust you're not only putting into that parachute, but you're putting into the person who packed that parachute. If you don't trust the parachute, the parachute doesn't do any good. And God is the provider in your life. If you don't trust him, then he can't do what only he can do. Matthew 6, 32 through 33 says, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. Man, that, doesn't that just put you at ease? Seek the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously, righteousness, righteously. And he will give you everything you need. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud or not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Are you convinced yet this morning? God wants to provide everything you need. And this isn't, like I said, it's not a prosperity gospel that you're going to have a jet and Lamborghini and all that. No. He's going to make sure you're taken care of. Your life might not look like so-and-so's life. My life doesn't look like so-and-so's life either. But that's okay because we're living on point and we're living on purpose and God has given us what he's given us so that we can bless others. Psalm 111.5 says he gives food to those who trust him. He never forgets his promises. Do you trust him today? Do you trust that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he'll do? I wanna encourage you, put God to the test. Maybe this is the last part of your life that is left unsurrendered and it's keeping you from growing in your relationship with God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is revealing it to you right now. It's like you felt a wall in your relationship with God for a while and you feel like you just keep hitting up against it. Maybe this is the last area left unsurrendered. Remember, it's not a finance thing. It's a heart thing. So are you ready to do your part? Are you ready to work when he says work? Are you ready to jump when he says jump? Are you ready to give when he says give? Are you ready to not buy when he says, don't buy. Each financial decision that you make is like a test. And I don't say this morning, I don't say all this this morning to so that you leave here just walking on eggshells. God, should I buy this? And should I go buy this? Man, every time you buy a Coke, you know, you don't have to say, God, do you really want me to have this Coke? That's not the heart. That's not the heart. You look at your finances. Do you have margin to be a blessing? Do you have the ability 
to be faithful to God's commands? And are you doing your best to be a good steward? So this isn't meant to be a legalistic charge today. Really the heart of it is, do you trust Jesus? Have you trusted him with your life? And if you if you trusted him to keep you out of hell, then don't leave him out of this critical area of your life, your finances that so easily grips your heart and grips your life. The only way to pass this test is to have an attitude that says, God, everything came from you. Everything belongs to you. So I'm gonna live life in light of that. From here on out, I take ownership of my choices, but not my possessions. Man, that's good, write that down. From here on out, God, I take ownership of my choices, but not my possessions. My my possessions belong to you, my choices belong to me. I choose to honor you with those choices, to let those choices reflect the fact that I trust you with my life. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads and close your eyes today. If you need to take that first step in trusting Jesus and just saying, God, I give you my life. You know, maybe that first step of saying, Jesus, I give you my heart. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again on the third day. You've been working in my life for a a while, but I I haven't taken that step of putting my trust and my faith in you. If that's you this morning and for the first time, you wanna invite Jesus Christ into your life and make him Lord of your life, not just, not just savior, but Lord of everything. If that's you, just raise your hand today. I'd love to pray with you as you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. If you're online today, you can raise your hand right there in the middle of your living room and say, Jesus, my life is here. My life is yours. Amen. If you're here today and and with every head bowed and eye closed, and this is between you and God, remember this is a heart issue and you just are challenged today and you say, God, I want you to be Lord of my finances. God, I want you to be Lord of it all. God, I want to take I don't want to take possession of my stuff. I want to just take possession of my choices and I want to choose to honor you. If that's your heart today and you say, God, I want you to be Lord of my finances, just lift your hand as as, as we pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus. Jesus, everything I have, I put in your hands. God, I know that when I put it all in your hands, you can do so much more with it than I could ever do on my own. And so God, I pray that you just help me to release this grip that my heart holds on stuff. And then I can trust you each and every day to be, to be my provider. And then I can trust you as I make choices that I can make them prayerfully. God, as I, as I make commitments that I can make them prayerfully in Jesus' name. God, give me a heart that is soft towards you. Give me a heart that is constantly asking, God, do you have all of me? Is there anything else that I can give to you? Is there any other way that you want to use me? Is there any way, other way that you want me to be a blessing? Jesus, you're a giver. You love so much that you gave your, God, you love so much that you gave your one and only son so that we might not perish but have eternal life. And so we want to be a giver. We want to be givers, people who are generous. Freely we've received, freely we give. Give us a new heart in this matter, in this arena. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's give our God a hand today for being so good to us.
Man, church, I'm so thankful for you. And um, I just want to thank everybody that came out, whether online or in person to Class 101 this last Wednesday night. If you came, uh, man, thanks so much. And if you wouldn't mind, if you've been here at church for a long time, or if you want to become a new member, uh, go ahead and fill out that membership application that you received through an email or in paper when you came. Um, That would help us so much as we update our records and and get ready for the next season of what God is going to do here at Mosaic. Um, If you missed 101, it will happen again on January 13th, and sign-up is already open online. And so don't worry if something came up and and you couldn't make it, or if your internet was being stupid and you couldn't get it. Sometimes I wonder if our speed here at the church and and with everybody being online these days is just not getting to you sometimes how how it should. So jump in on January 13th. We'll do it again, and we'll continue to do it more after that. And so don't worry. Also, next Sunday is child dedication. If you have a baby or a a young child that you'd like to get dedicated to the Lord uh, based on the model in scripture, um, you could sign up online for that as well. Or you can write it on the connect card uh, in the back of your seat in front of you, drop it off at the info booth or in the buckets on the way out. um, And we'd love to get you signed up for that next Sunday. Um, If your child is being dedicated next Sunday, be sure to invite your family and friends. And that's gonna be such a special time with our parents that are dedicating their kids. This Wednesday night, there's no youth service. Uh, we want uh, our kids to just be home and, and, and join family for Thanksgiving and, and not stressing mom out or dad uh, running around Wednesday night when they're trying to get the turkey already. And so um, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time together. Um, and I just want to express from the bottom of my heart my thanks for you and for opening your arms to me and Jolie and our family these past couple months. Uh, this is going to be a special uh, first Thanksgiving for us here in Ohio. And uh, we're just so thankful to be with you and to call you family. And uh, so thanks so much. If, if my board uh, directors and elders, if you're here, if you could just come to the front, be available to pray with people. And if you need prayer, they're available for you now. God, I pray that you bless every person as they leave, as they work, as they celebrate Thanksgiving, whatever they're doing this week, wherever they go, pray that you bless them in Jesus' name. Um, to, to God be the glory. God, you don't, you've done so much good things in our lives, and we just bless you. Amen and amen. You're dismissed.